Good morning, everyone. How you guys doing today? It is an amazing Sabbath. Are you guys excited to be here today? Yes. It is an awesome day for a couple of reasons. One, we just let, got led by an amazing youth band. Can we give it up for them one more time? Say thank you to them. They are an incredible group of young people. And what I love about it is that it, it's not just special because they're young. Like what we just experienced was cool, like young people sing. But more than that, what we just caught was a glimpse of the future. What the future of our sound, our church is going to sound like, what the future of our church is going to look like. You see, here at Crosswalk, we believe in our youth. We believe that God is moving in them and amongst them. And what we just caught a glimpse of was the future of what that is going to look like and what it is looking like right now. Now, the future of is uh, college-age ministry here at Crosswalk. But if you don't categorize yourself as young, um, now we're all young in the eyes of the Lord, but if you don't categorize yourself as young, that's okay because you are still part of future of. Because Future Of is more than just a ministry here at Crosswalk. Future Of is a posture of our hearts. You see, at the heart of Future Of is an authentic pursuit of Jesus. We want to continuously become like Jesus. And what I've come to find out is that each generation has this. But the thing is that will look different over time. So the way that our grandparents worship Jesus and follow Jesus looks different than the way our parents followed and worshiped Jesus. Now the way that we are worshiping and following Jesus is different. But at the heart of each generation is the decision to authentically pursue after Jesus. So today, if you follow Jesus, I want you to know you're part of future of. It is a great day. I'm so happy that you're all here. Uh, so I have some exciting news. I recently became a dog dad. I got a puppy. His name is Mosby. In fact, we have a photo of him right here. Uh, this is Mosby. Look at him. Is he not the cutest little guy ever? Oh, I love this little guy. So he is 14 weeks old today, actually. Uh, he is the cutest little puppy. And uh, if you're wondering what breed he is, he is part angel, part demon. And... <laughs> Continuously, they're both fighting to get out. I'm just kidding. Uh, he is an Australian Shepherd puppy. He is the cutest little dog in the world. And uh, it's been nuts raising a puppy. Like, he's been crazy. Now, before I got the dog, like, I did as much research that I could to prepare myself. So I was on YouTube all the time, searching up different videos, like how to uh, train your dog to pee outside, what to expect the first 24 hours, like all of those kinds of videos. Um, I was reading articles. I never read articles, but I was reading articles on what to expect. Um, I even played Nintendogs. Do any of you guys know what that is? If you had a 3DS, you probably experienced it. It's like a game that simulates having a dog. So you'd have to like feed it, water it, you know, play with it, the whole thing. But I'm telling you, all of the research and all the preparation that I went through didn't fully prepare me for what it's like to have a dog. And let me tell you, it has been nuts. Like nothing prepared me for the 3 a.m. crying or, you know, the, the puppy biting. Or even, you know, the potty training. Like none of it prepared me fully for those things. In fact, the second week that I had Mosby, there was one night in particular where the little guy got up probably about five or six times in the night. Like he just did not want to go to sleep. He would take a little nap for like an hour and then boom, he was up again. The final time he woke up was around 4.30 in the morning. And as soon as he got up, like I just knew like this guy, this guy is up. Like he is not going back to sleep. So 
I take him outside to go potty. And, you know, I probably looked like crazy because uh, one eye was half shut. The other one was twitching. My hair looked a mess. I had no shirt on. I looked like I probably just killed somebody. I'm out here trying to get my dog to go potty. And I'm just like having the worst time, like falling apart, like mini mental breakdown. And as I'm out here doing this, my neighbor is exiting our, um, our driveway. We share a driveway and he's going to work. It's 4.30 in the morning and he puts down his window. He looks at me, he goes, Andy, you're doing great, bro. <laughs> and literally I wanted to cry. I'm not even exaggerating. A tear fell out of my eye because I needed just a little bit of affirmation that morning. It has been crazy having a puppy. Now, with all the craziness, there's also a lot of great things. For instance, I have a little puppy that loves me literally all the time. If I ever need a dose of love, like he is like a, a well of love. He just loves hanging out with me. And he gets so excited to see me and it makes me so happy. Like I'll be gone for like 10 minutes and I'll come back to me. He's like, dude, what's up? I'm like, hey, like, what's up, buddy? And we just play, he's the best. Um, another thing that I've really enjoyed about having a puppy is seeing my dad become a dog person. Now, understand, my dad has never been a dog person. You know, he, he's never the one to be like, oh, a dog, like, let's go pet it. Or, you know, that's never been my dad. In fact, I made a meme describing my dad. If you guys want to see it, it's right here. Uh, <laughs> this would be my dad. And if you watch Parks and Rec, I hope it's extra funny for you. My dad's just not a dog person at all. Uh, you know, there's like a running joke in my family that my dad will pet a dog if he has a stick, so like from a distance. Or um, we'll joke with him, like, we're going to get you a dog for your birthday because we know how much he doesn't want a dog. Like, my dad has just never been a dog person. That's just not been who he is. But after he met Mosby, oh, he's a completely different man. I mean, Mosby will do anything, and my dad will giggle. I've never seen my dad giggle in my entire life, but Mosby does anything. All of a sudden, my dad starts giggling. Mosby will look at him, my dad giggles. Mosby will eat his food, my dad will giggle. Like anything Mosby does, my dad will giggle at. In fact, this is what my dad is like now. <laughs> if you watch Parks and Recs, I, I really hope this is hidden home. My dad, now he loves Mosby and it's been the best thing ever seeing my dad get used to him and, and accept him. Um, now there's been a lot of highs and a lot of lows to having the puppy. I mean, I just labeled some. Um, one of the things that I wasn't really prepared for though, was the insecurity that comes with people seeing my puppy parenting and also finding out the things that have happened with me and my puppy. For instance, uh, the first day that I got Mosby, now, I don't know how he did this. I don't know how it happened, but it did. The first day that I got Mosby, he pooped on his head. And I don't know how he did it. Like he's like Houdini, but for potty. Like how does he do it? I have no idea, but he did. He literally went to potty on his head. And, you know, I found it and I knew I couldn't leave it there. So I decided to give him a bath. Uh, so I bathed him, you know, got him all showered, took him out. And, you know, I want to say he was like super cute, but he was more of like that scary, ugly cute because he looked like a wet possum that maybe had just killed something. Like he, he did not look super cute, but cute at the same time, if you know what I'm saying about. Uh, so I took him and I took a picture of him in the mirror and I post about it on my story. And I write like what happened, like little guy, uh, pooped on his head, ha, 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 gave him a bath, right, and posted it. 
I start getting all of the comments like, ha, 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 that's so funny. That's so cute. How did he do it? And I'm like, I don't know. Like all the fun like Instagram things that you like. Um, and then finally, I get a message from my friend who has a dog. And he goes, hey, you know you're not supposed to give puppies a bath, right? And I didn't know that. In fact, I started freaking out. I got super insecure when he told me that. In fact, I started freaking out. I started thinking, why didn't I Google why I shouldn't, or what I should do if my dog poops on his head? Why didn't I Google if dogs can be bathed? Like, I start freaking out, right? All this insecurity starts rushing in. So thankfully that day, though, I had a vet appointment. So as soon as I got to the vet, through, you know, fear and shame and remorse, I tell the vet, I bathed my puppy. I am so sorry. Like, he, he went to the bathroom on his head. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. And now I'm here. I had to bathe him. And I'm like freaking out because I don't think you're supposed to bathe puppies. And my vet, she was so sweet. She goes, hey, buddy, relax. Your dog's okay. Puppies can be bathed. We just recommend that puppies below eight weeks shouldn't be bathed. But your puppy is well within the range to be bathed. So your puppy is going to be fine. At the same time, I got a text from my friend and he said, actually, there's a lot of uh, different opinions on this topic. So your puppy is probably fine. <laughs> so I'm sitting there like both relieved and stressed at the same time. Like, is he going to die or is he going to survive? Like, I need to know. Just tell it to me straight. It has been crazy having a puppy. Uh, but with all the ups and downs, I've still loved it. But I'm being honest when I say that I wasn't prepared for the insecurities that come with having a puppy. Like people seeing the way that I puppy parent or people seeing the way that I, you know, interact with Mosby can be kind of vulnerable. And it makes me insecure. And the reason why is because I don't want anybody to judge the way that I puppy parent. I don't want anybody to judge the way that me and Mosby interact and hang out together. So what I do is I hide it. I'd rather keep it hidden rather than seen. Because if it's hidden, it makes me feel safer. Now, I don't just do this in my life with Mosby. I do this across my life. I do this in my professional life, my social life, uh, you know, my relationships, every part of my life. When I feel insecure about something, my first instinct is to hide it. And maybe you can relate. Maybe you can relate because maybe at one point in your life you felt insecure and you did nearly everything you could to make sure that nobody found out. Like almost moved to Mexico insecure. Like you almost bought the plane ticket and everything. Like when we feel insecure, we don't like anybody knowing what happened. And we do this because one, whatever happened is probably embarrassing, but we also believe that nobody else struggles the way that we struggle. Nobody else makes mistakes the way that we make mistakes. So if anybody were to find out the things that we've done or the places that we've been or the mistakes that we've made, we think that they think that we're crazy. So rather than go through the fear of other people finding out the crazy things about our lives, we would rather keep it hidden. And we don't show anybody. Now, this isn't a terrible idea, but the thing is when we do this, insecurity can quickly become shame. And it's not just a silly insecurity that we're hiding after a while. Instead, it becomes an identity. And we start thinking thoughts like this, like, really, you, you struggle with that? Nobody struggles with that. Really, you, you, you made that mistake? You understand that nobody makes mistakes like that. 
And of all, all of a sudden, it's not just this simple insecurity, it's now an identity that we hold. You see, what I've just described is shame and the effects of shame. Now, we've been in a series called Pause, and it's been all about the Sabbath. Have you enjoyed the series? Yeah, we love the Sabbath. Uh, I had a young person tell me recently uh, that the Sabbath is lit, um, which if you don't know what lit means, it's our generation's way of saying rad, like super cool. Uh, so after this church service, you could go around telling people the Sabbath is lit. They'll understand what you mean. Uh, I, you know, the Sabbath is incredible. We love the Sabbath. And what the Sabbath is, is a gift of rest. It's a gift from God given to us. Jesus says that the Sabbath wasn't made, our man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man. Jesus and God have gifted the Sabbath to humanity. Now, this Sabbath rest isn't just any kind of rest. It's not just an afternoon nap. No, this rest is a holistic rest. Every part of our lives are called to rest. Our social lives, our, our physical health, our mental health, our spiritual health, every part of our lives are called to rest on the Sabbath. Now, what I've found is that every part of my life also craves the Sabbath. At some point, our bodies get tired and we need rest. At some point, our minds get tired and we need a rest. At some point, our souls get tired and we need a rest. We crave rest. And the amazing thing about Sabbath is that it is a gift of rest given to humanity. Now, Tim posed a question last week, and I want to continue it. He posed the question, what is keeping you from Sabbath? What is keeping you from rest? And there are many things that can keep us from rest. For some of us, it's our job. We work too much. For some of us, it's some other responsibilities. Maybe you have a dog like Mosby. Maybe it's a relationship, whatever it may be, there are things in our lives that actually keep us from rest. But today what I want to talk about is how shame keeps us from rest. You see, shame is one of the number one killers of rest. And the reason why is because shame and rest run at different paces. If shame was a run, rest would be a walk. If rest was water, shame would be oil. They are just naturally in opposition to each other. So we may want to rest, but the shame keeps our minds and our hearts continuously racing, reminding us of our insecurities, reminding us of the things that we've done, the places that we've been and things that have, have happened to us. See, today I want to talk about how we can combat this shame. And I say combat because the reality is all of us at some point will experience shame in our life. In the words of Brene Brown, we have to become shame resilient. Because the reality is shame is going to hit. And at some point we're going to experience shame and all of it has. But what I want us to do today is I want us to equip ourselves with the tools necessary to fight back against shame. So today I want us to read scripture. Today in 1 John chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to take it out. But if you don't, don't worry. We have the Sky Bible right here. That is an awesome Bible. We're in 1 John chapter 1 and we're going to read verse uh, 5 through 9. And it says this. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. 
So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we proclaim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So in this portion of Scripture, we see two things that are contrasted. We see light and then we see darkness. Now in Scripture, light is always associated with truth and goodness. And the epitome of truth and goodness is Jesus. Now there's a call in this portion of Scripture to live in the light, so we are called to live in Jesus. Now contrasted to the light is darkness. And if light is truth and goodness, then darkness is evil and lies. Now, light is more powerful than darkness, but for many of us, I think we exist both in the light and in the darkness. You see, it's not always as explicit as it may seem. I mean, right now, in this room, at this very moment, we are experiencing both light and darkness at the same time. I mean, there's these lights right here on the stage behind me. You can see me, but at the same time, I'm looking out at you, and while I can see you, some of you are still in the shadows. We are experiencing light and darkness at the same time. And for many of us, maybe we have read this verse and thought if we are in darkness, it means we are in midnight darkness. And what that looks like maybe is someone who says, I don't need Jesus. I'm good all on my own. I, I, I don't want Jesus. I reject Jesus. And that, that, that could be darkness for sure. And if that's you today, like I invite you to the light. But if we're being honest, I don't think many of us actually struggle with that. You see, I think for many of us, the light and darkness is actually a little bit more subtle. You see, I think many of us walk through life as silhouettes. You see, a silhouette is something that is both seen and unseen at the same time. Like if you know the silhouette of something, you know what it is, but at the same time, you can't see any details of it. For example, I'm going to make myself a silhouette right now. We're going to turn down the lights and we're going to turn on a cool background behind me and I am going to become a silhouette. So you could both see me right now and not see me at the same time. And if you know me, then you know that it's me. This is my figure. And right now, all of you know it's me right now because unless I'm Houdini like Mosby, I haven't made any switches, it's still me. Now you could see me, but the thing is you also can't see me. There are certain facial expressions that I can make right now, but you wouldn't know I was making those because I'm a silhouette. I mean, you can't tell every detail of my clothes if I was wearing uh, something with a design on it because I'm a silhouette. You see, silhouettes are things that are both seen and unseen at the same time. And I think for many of us, we walk through life as silhouettes. You can turn the lights back on. You see, we walk through life both being seen and unseen at the same time. We show people certain parts of our lives that we're okay with being seen. And it's mostly the good parts, you know, the parts that make us look cool, the parts that, you know, make us look like a good person. But then there's also the parts of our lives that we're not proud of. And those parts are the parts that we keep hidden. And we don't want anybody to see those parts because if they knew, then they would think 
that we're crazy, or maybe the lies that we believe ourselves would actually be true. So instead of living in the light, what we have done is chosen to live in the darkness. And we walk through life as silhouettes. Now, for many of us, we do this with those around us. I mean, you probably can think of the things that you are not proud of and you want to hide those from the people around you. But we don't just do this with people. I think for many of us, we actually also do this with God. And instead of being fully seen by God, we would rather hide certain parts about our lives. And we do this because we're scared that if God saw us, then it would affirm the lies that we actually believe at ourselves, believe about ourselves. That if we make a mistake, that we actually are a mistake. That if we mess up, that we actually are messed up. And because we are scared of this reality, what many have done, of us done, have done is chosen to live in the darkness and walk through life as a silhouette. And what this practically looks like in life is, you know, reading an occasional verse of the day, just getting a verse, or maybe throwing up a prayer before bed or before every meal, you know, we'll throw it up or maybe even coming to church on Saturday, getting all dressed up, all nice. But what we do is we rush through our relationship with God because we're afraid that if we actually sit in the moment for too long, it's going to require us to confront certain things about our lives that we want to keep hidden. It's going to require us to show those to God. And rather than show those things to God, we would rather keep them hidden because we're afraid that the lies and the identity that we have told ourselves is true might actually be true. So for many of us, we would rather sit in the darkness than to step into the light. Now, if this is you today, I want you to know that there is hope because Jesus actually calls us to live in the light. Jesus invites us into the light. He's calling us out of the darkness. And the way that we do this is found in this portion of scripture. So in verse nine, it says this, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. But if we confess, that's a word that we do not like to hear. Nobody likes confession because to use the language in this portion of scripture to confess something is to step into the light and to be fully seen. But the big issue is we don't want to be seen. We want to remain hidden. So we would rather stay in the darkness than to be seen. Because in the light is where we can be judged. In the light is where we can be found out for who we really are. So we would rather choose darkness than to choose confession, to choose light. Yet there's a beautiful hope and a beautiful reason why we can choose confession, why we can choose the light. And it's because of this. The writer describes Jesus in two ways, faithful and just. Do you know what it means for Jesus to be faithful? You see, faithful is an adjective, meaning it characterizes something. If someone is characterized by faithful, it means that they are steadfast in affection and allegiance. You see, what we're reading here is that Jesus is steadfast in his love for us and he has fully pledged his allegiance to us. Meaning anytime we need his presence, his resources, his time or his love, he has given it to us. Now, this is a beautiful reality and I wanna talk more about it, but 
first I want to address something. For many of us, we hear that and we still don't believe it's for us. And the reason why is because we believe that every other part of our life tells us that we have to work for something in order to get it. Look at any relationship you have. You stop putting effort over time, that relationship will probably fail. Look at any job you have. If you stop showing up, you're not going to get your job. You're not going to get paid. Everything in life tells us that if we want something, then we have to work towards it. So when we think about God, we think it must be the same. So we don't like to believe that God is faithful. But hear me, the gospel isn't about what humanity was able to do to get to God. It's about what God did to reach humanity. And today what I want you to know is that there is a grace and a love for you. And it's not based on your ability to get it right or to get it wrong, but it is based on your identity. Really quick, I want to share a story. Uh, so I went to PUC for three years and it was an awesome, awesome time. And uh, when I was up there, it was always an excited thing when my dad would invite me home and he invited me to fly home. He said he'd buy my ticket and I got really excited because I hadn't seen my family in a while. Uh, so I went to the airport and, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not very on time ever except when it comes to airplane rides. Uh, I don't know why I'm like scared I'm gonna miss my flight. So I got there like, uh, I don't know, like six hours early or, you know, I'm just kidding. It was five, no, I'm kidding. Um, I get there super early to this flight and I'm there, um, you know, just reading, studying, cause I'm a good student. No, I'm kidding, I was watching Netflix and just chilling. And you know, uh, at some point I have to use the restroom. So I start walking to the bathroom and in front of me, there is a father and a son. And the son is probably about five years old. He is so much smaller than his dad that in order to hold his dad's hand, he has to reach his hand all the way up to the sky. Now they walk into the bathroom before me and I walk in after them. And when I walk in, the little boy is about to go in the stall and he's closing the door. And as he's about to close the door, he flings the door open. He points at his dad and he says, dad, don't go anywhere. I'm gonna be in here pooping. And he closes the door and he does his thing. And everybody in the bathroom starts to laugh because it was cute, it was funny. But just for a moment, I want us to analyze this a little bit. I know he's five years old, but let's, let's think about this for a second. This little boy thought he had to convince his father not to leave that stall door. Now I know that not every father is ideal and I recognize that. And, not every father lives up to the call of what a father should be like, but just for a moment, I want us to picture the ideal father. This little boy thought he had to convince his dad not to leave the stall door. What I've come to know is true, is that that airport could have been closed that moment that father was not gonna leave the stall door. The plane could have been leaving literally that moment, the father was not going to leave the stall door. See, nothing was gonna keep that dad from being there for his son when he gets out. And the reason why wasn't because the son was super cool, uh, made him money, no, no, no. The reason why was because that was his child. That was his son. And nothing was going to keep him from being there at that stall door. You see, what we have to understand is that God's love and God's presence in our life is not dependent on our ability to get it right 
We don't have to convince God to stay with us, but the gospel is that before we were even born, God thought of us. He prepared a way for us. So today, if you are facing shame and you want to enter into rest, but you are unable to because you feel chained to the past, I want you to know that Jesus is calling you to keep your eyes on the future and to leave the past in the past. And if you ever look back to the past, may it be at the cross, which is the eternal symbol of our redemption. Today, there is hope for us if we feel shame. Now I wanna lead us in a prayer and don't worry, I'm not gonna make you raise your hands or say anything out loud because I know that that can be scary, but I wanna pray a special blessing over your life because I know that walking in the light can be scary. It's a confronting thing. We like the darkness because it makes us feel safer. But today I want you to know that your father is reaching out to you. He is there with you and he has not left you. So I invite you to bow your heads. I wanna lead us in a prayer. Dear Jesus, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, I pray for every person in this room, especially the one today, Lord, that is feeling the grips of shame. Jesus, you know better than any of us what shame looks like, what shame feels like. And Jesus, today in the authority of the gospel, I wanna declare freedom over every life I wanna declare your peace over every person. I wanna declare your future over every person. And if anybody in this room feels that they are locked and chained to the past, I would pray that, you, that they would know that you freed them into your future, Jesus. Lord, thank you for your hope. Thank you for your love and thank you for your future, Jesus. We pray these things in your name, amen. Hey, I invite you to stand up because we are gonna sing one more time.